Praise the name of the Lord this morning. Glory to God. Good morning to you all. Today is the first Sunday in one of my favorite seasons of the year, the season of Advent, a season in which we anticipate the arrival of Jesus Christ. Every year when it comes to this time, I talk about why, and I will talk again today about why it is that there's a reason for us to anticipate the arrival of Jesus. We know that 2,000 years ago, Jesus arrived on earth in human form. That's the fundamental expression of what it means to be a Christ follower. It is to be one who believes that Jesus of Nazareth, that man who was born the humble son of a humble carpenter, the son of the woman named Mary, a man of Galilee who became a rabbi, a teacher, a leader, a worker of wonders, a healer, a worker of miracles, that that man, Jesus of Nazareth, known as the son of Joseph, known as the son of Mary, is in fact the son of man, as the scriptures called him, a phrase which even in days of old at the time of Jesus referred back to the scriptures, Daniel, a prophet, who had seen one who looked like a son of man, someone who was a a mixture of the divine and the human, someone who had the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon him and who had the authority of the throne of God, the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ, that that Jesus of Nazareth is that son of man, the very son of God, the word of God made flesh. We know that he came 2,000 years ago. So some might say, why then every 12th month of the year have a tree like this laden with lights to reflect the coming of the light of the world, to reflect the fruitful blossoming of the tree of life. Why do that every year? There are many reasons, in fact. One of them is we need reminding. Talaga? It's true. We need reminding. I need it and you need it. Reminding that the Lord of life lives that in this darkened world that seems to grow darker every day, we, people who walk in darkness, have seen a great light. It's the light of the world that gives light and life to all people in the world who receive him. So Advent and Christmas is a reminder. And Advent, that season of preparation, is a further reminder to us that we would be wise to prepare a place in our hearts for the one who when he was born, there was no room in the world for him. His parents who had come to a busy place during a busy time for Caesar Augustus had decreed that there would be a census and that meant that all people had to go back 
to their ancestral homes. And for both Joseph and Mary, who were both descendants of David, the king of ancient Israel, as you can see from the genealogies which are provided in both Matthew and Luke, which are slightly different because one traces Mary's lineage, most likely, and the other Joseph's lineage, so that through both his earthly parents, Jesus was related to David, as well as through, of course, his heavenly father, who was the one who had anointed David king in the first place and said, I will make that Davidic throne my throne and I will place upon that throne a ruler, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The government will be upon his shoulders, and of his rule and reign there will never be an end. Both Joseph and Mary were related to that promise. And so they had come to the city of David, Bethlehem, a, a word, a name, which means in Hebrew, bet Elam, house of bread. The bread of heaven, like manna in the wilderness, had come to earth. The word made flesh. And when they arrived there, the town was so crowded with people being counted for the census that there was no room for them in the inn. You know the story. And so they had to stay in a stable with some animals. And while they were there, Mary gave birth to Jesus. And she laid Jesus in the only available receptacle that could serve as a crib, a manger. There, in the house of bread, the bread of heaven was laid in the place where beasts eat. What an image. What a promise. Here on this table, the bread of heaven rests for us. And you will be the cradle in which he rests. You will be the table on which he is served. You and I, we will be the body of Christ as we once again partake of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. Something which we do regularly once a month here at PCF, although we've already done it more than that in recent weeks because it's something we revel and joy to do, to participate in the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And every time we do it, we do it in remembrance of him. And so also Advent, and so also Christmas. Every time we acknowledge on the 25th of December that Jesus Christ came, we remember that Jesus Christ is here, here inside of us, a light within us. And hopefully that remembrance rekindles that light within us and reminds us to shine that light around us. And so, over the next four weeks, including today, we will be looking at the arrival of Jesus Christ for these purposes, to remember that he came, to rekindle the light and the fire of his coming in our lives, but also to recognize that he is coming again. You realize that every time we celebrate Christmas, as people who celebrate it knowingly, who celebrate Christmas not just as a holiday, but as a holy day, we do so as people who remember and acknowledge and declare that the Christ who has come shall come again. And so in this year that the Lord has called a year of fruitfulness for us, 
I invite you and me to join together in a journey towards Bethlehem once again, to the house of bread, to the manger where the fruit of the harvest is made manifest for us, where the word became flesh, and that one revealed the will of the Father to us. I invite you into a fruitful advent. Turn to the person next to you and say, let's have a fruitful advent. Amen. Lord, as we come to your word, we ask that you would fructify your word in us, Lord, an old-fashioned way of saying, make your word fruitful in us. Your word, which is a seed, plant it in the soil of our hearts. Lord, we're sinful people. We, uh, we fail in many ways all the time. But you are faithful, and your word is fruitful. It never returns to you void. Make your word flesh in us today. Fill our flesh with your word. Our spirits are willing, but our flesh is weak. So we ask, Lord, that you would transform our flesh by the infilling of your spirit and the outgrowth of your word. In the name of Jesus Christ, the first fruit of heaven, amen. Today I want to talk about fruit of the word of the word. The word of God, the holy scriptures, provide a promise for us. If you and I think of that promise as a seed, then every time a promise of the word is fulfilled, it's fruit. The promise made is the seed planted. It grows over time. And eventually, it blossoms and bears fruit. And that is the promise fulfilled. A promise fulfilled, according to the scriptures, according to Proverbs, is sweet to the soul. It's just like fruit on the branch, fruit on the vine, sweet to taste. I want to remind you today that the things that the Lord promises, the Lord does. So lay hold of them and taste and see that the Lord is good. That will be our focus for today. Next week, we will talk about fruit of the womb. This promised Jesus came in the flesh. He came through water and blood, the burdensome labor of a woman, just like you and me. Every single one of us in the room, we have one thing in common, at least. We were born of a woman. Thank God for that woman. Thank God for the woman that gave birth to you today. You wouldn't be here without her. You came through her. Jesus came through a woman too. Jesus also filled a woman's womb and was born into this world through labor and pain so that you and I could be born into heaven by the grace of God. Following that, on the third week, we will talk about fruit of the tomb. There's another thing that's common for every single one of us in the room. We were born of a woman and we will die. Each of us comes from a womb. Each of us is headed for a tomb. And that also Jesus shared. But Jesus showed us something, that the tomb and the womb are alike, that in God, even the dead place becomes filled with life. Even a barren place becomes a garden, and the garden of God is fruitful. We will talk about fruit of the throne Because God has a purpose, and his purpose is not just green and growing and 
blossoming and beautiful things, although it most surely is that. It is also to establish a throne here among his people, a throne over all creation, the throne of God. And it's on that throne that Jesus sits. Finally, we will talk on Christmas Eve about fruit of the harvest because the Lord of the harvest has already provided the first fruit. And that first fruit is none other than Jesus Christ himself, the babe of Bethlehem. Today, we will talk about him and the promise of him found in the word, the promise of the coming Christ. We're going to look at the Old Testament in a variety of places today, and I have provided to you more scriptures here in your bulletin than we will even uh, look at together. I am encouraging you to take the bulletin with you this week and to read through the scriptures, not only the ones that we will look at together, but also the ones that are mentioned here that we won't read together. And what you'll be reminded of as you do that, or if you're new to such a study, then what you'll be exposed to is the fact that in many, many places, passages which were written hundreds, perhaps even a thousand years before Jesus or more in some cases, without dispute, clearly refer to a story which is evidently fulfilled by that very same Jesus of Nazareth. This is not something to be ignored. And it is something which can be researched, by the way. If you feel a little skeptical about it, I'm not pointing any fingers. I'm saying, all right, then do your skepticism a favor. Investigate. Look for yourself and see. The Hebrew scriptures, which, by the way, are embraced not just by Christians, but by Jews. And even by non-believers who readily acknowledge that what we call the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible is a set of documents which comes well in advance of the life of Jesus Christ. We will look at many instances in those documents which describe someone who lives a life, who arrives in the world in a pattern which is precisely fulfilled in the New Testament. The Greek scriptures, that is the scriptures written in Greek, the common language of the first century AD, the language which made the Christian Bible available to the broader world. In fact, a language which even the Hebrew Bible had been translated into, a very famous ancient translation which you may be familiar with called the Septuagint. And so in that, there are many references in the New Testament to the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament. The fruit of the word is the promise of a Messiah, an anointed one who comes to save his people, the coming Christ. I want you to look first in the fourth gospel. I just finished in our praise school of ministry a class on the gospel of John. By the way, next month, because today is December 1st, you might be like me, you might be kind of still reeling. There's a lot of turkey working its way through your system, maybe some baboy in there, you're working way through some pancit. I had all of that and more. So you're still digesting and you may feel like we're in November, but today is actually December 1st. You can look at your phone right now and see, oh yeah, December 1st, it says, it's true. And so next month is January. And at the end of January, we're going to begin a new session of Praise School of Ministry. I'm asking you right now to begin praying if you might participate in that. I know, I, I'm always up here, you know, cheering for PSOM. 
You know why? Because it exists as a resource for you. It's not just something that we do for fun on Sunday afternoons. I realize that we do have a limited offering. We offer it on Sunday afternoons, and for some of you that may not be possible, and I understand, but just pray. You know, all things are possible when God calls you. I'm going to continue teaching on the, what is called the Johannine literature. I'm going to teach a class in our next session on the epistles of John. And following that, I'm going to teach a class on Revelation. It's my conviction that all of these books, which come under the name of John, and sometimes there is some speculation that it, there may be different men named John, and that's possible, but I suspect that the Gospel of John and the Epistles of John and the Book of Revelation are all written by the same John, the very Apostle of John, one of the Twelve. That's the most traditional view, and it's one that I hold to. If you want to know why, come to my class, and I'll tell you why. But more importantly than that, what we'll really discuss is the meat of the word. And in doing so, you'll see something about John 1.1 that works its way all through the epistles of John and all the way through the book of Revelation, which is this acknowledgement that Jesus is, to use a Greek term, the logos, the word, which means more than just a word, but like logos sounds like to us in English, means a kind of logic, the comprehension, the understanding of God, the philosophy and purposefulness of God arrives in the world in human flesh in the form of Jesus Christ. But this is not a new creation. This man who arrives in the world is the very God who made the world. Here is what John 1, 1 says. Will you read it with me? Let's read this verse together aloud and loudly. Ready? Let's read. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We could spend our entire time just talking about this, one of the most magnificent, I would even say magisterial verses of Scripture. In the beginning was the Word. It's the very phrase that you and I will find in Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning. And it's John's way of letting us know that the word become flesh, Jesus, the logic, the mind, the comprehension of God, the manifestation of God, the physicalization of God, the incarnation of God is also the invisible and incomprehensible and mysterious God who was right there at creation and not only with God in creation, but was God creating. Jesus, the Messiah, the man, is also Jesus, the creator, the God. And that's what John 1, 1 makes known to us. John chapter 1 doesn't include a traditional nativity story the way Matthew uh, chapters 1 and 2 or Luke chapters 1 and 2 do. Instead, John gives us a kind of cosmic nativity. He makes us aware that Jesus who arrived in the form of a human being is the majestic creator. But it's also one of the many places in the New Testament scriptures in which we are reminded of this fact that Jesus' first coming to earth was long foretold for hundreds, even thousands of years. In fact, the very first prophecy, it can be argued in scriptures, comes in Genesis chapter 3. In a moment of failure, humanity is present in the garden of God, what we know as the Garden of Eden. 
There, the first man and the first woman who both bore the name Adam, Adam, it means of the earth, clay, there they sinned. That's great, 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 great grandpa and great, 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 great grandma. Lolo and Lola sinned. But don't hold it against them because you and I sinned too, right? We've ratified their sin personally many times over. But in that moment when they sinned, the Lord was mindful of this. They didn't sin on their own. There was a tempter, that snake, that serpent of old, the same one who tempts you and me today. And the Lord said to that one, you will crawl on your belly in the dust of the earth. Since you have taken it upon yourself, Satan, adversary, enemy, to tempt these creatures of the earth, made from the dust of the earth, then among them you'll crawl. But even as you bruise their heel, they will crush your head. There will be one born of the woman who will crush your head under his heel. That's a prophecy of Genesis 3 that gets fulfilled in John 1. Jesus' coming was long foretold from the beginning. And those who would believe faithfully awaited it, even though it's hard to believe a promise when you can't see it. Turn to the person next to you and say, it's hard to believe a promise you can't see. Thank God that God shines a light. In my bedroom, there is an outlet that I have to plug into to charge my phone. Lord knows we've got to keep our phones charged, right? Oh, what would we do if that thing ran out of energy? Never mind that any of us over the age of, what, 30, lived most of our lives without one of those things, but now we've got to get it charged. Oh, it's going to run out. Charge it, charge it in the car, and you charge it. So in the bedroom, I try and find that outlet. Sometimes in the dark, and I can't find the doggone outlet. I need a light. I use the phone. (laughs) If the phone's too low on a charge, then you don't have the light. God shines the light to show you where to plug into the truth, where to plug into the source of power. And in creation, God's light shines. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. And what is it that God, the Word, said? What was the Word? The Word was light. The Word was light. Let there be light. And there was light. And the light was good. God saw that the light was good. He separated the light from the darkness. He called the light day and the darkness night. And there was evening and there was morning one day. In the book of John, these themes show up again and again and again. Light and dark, day and night, vision and blindness. Do you remember the story of the man born blind in John chapter 9? We looked at it just a few weeks ago. One thing I know, he said, I was blind and now I see. And that's John's way of reminding us. One thing I know, once we were all in the dark and then God said, let there be light. And there was, and it was good. And that is God. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life. 
And the life that was in him is the light, the light of the world, the light of humankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot comprehend it, cannot overcome it. That's the promise of Jesus Christ. The prophet Isaiah, some 750, 800 years before the birth of Jesus, declared that the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. By the way, in Isaiah chapter 9, this is specifically referring to an area that is known for being populated by Gentiles, non-Jews. In other words, what Isaiah is saying is, even those people who are not part of the covenant promise of God, the light of God's promise will shine to them. They'll be brought into life as God shines the light of life to them. That's you and me, Mangakapatid. Brothers and sisters, that's us. The light shines on us. And as the light shines, that light brings nourishment to the seed of God's word within us. You know the story. Five years ago, the Lord said to me, I'm calling you to shepherd this flock, PCF, a flock that's precious to him. And when he did so, I said, Lord, I don't know how to do that or what to do. So what is it that you want to do? And he said, I declare to you a year of light and a year of seed faith, a year of living water, a year of fruitfulness, and a year of harvest. And in that, I saw that the Lord's word to me was the Lord's word to us from the beginning. Light and then seed Something fruitful that begins small and silent and sacred and hidden. It involves a death, just as Jesus said, unless a seed dies and falls into the ground, it cannot produce more. But God's word is seed to the sower and bread to the eater. In other words, when God makes a promise, it's a promise that's going to bear fruit. In the book of the Psalms, which is quoted, by the way, in Hebrews chapter 10, you'll find Psalm 40 quoted there. The psalmist says, hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus, behold, I come in the scroll of the book, it is written of me. That's the way the books of the Hebrew Bible were written. They were written on scrolls. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law, your word, is another way that that could very ably be translated in Hebrew. Your word is within my heart. This is the living word speaking. I have proclaimed glad tidings. Do you hear a Christmas sound in that? I have proclaimed glad tidings of great joy. Do you know what great joy is? Righteousness. Great joy isn't great wealth, at least not this kind of world's wealth. Great joy isn't great power, at least not this kind of world's great power. Great joy is not great beauty, at least not this kind of world's great beauty. Because all those things rust and, and rot and decay. But righteousness is forever. Righteousness is treasure in heaven, is beauty before the Lord, is power unlimited. And here the living word proclaims, glad tidings of righteousness in the great congregation. Behold, I will not restrain my lips, O Lord, you know. In other words, I am the word and I will speak the word. And as the word is spoken, the word like a seed grows. 
In fact, the scripture describes the process of the washing of the water of the word, that the scriptures of God and the promises of the Lord cleanse us from unrighteousness even as they flow the life of righteousness into us. But there is something required of each of us. Like gardeners, we have to be faithful in tending our garden. Put your hand on your heart here. That's your plot of land. That's your little acre. Amen. That's the place where weeds will grow and weeds must be plucked out. That's the place where stones will put up a barrier. So till the soil to remove the stones. That's the place where the seed of God's word must be planted. And if it is planted, that's the place where the fruit of God's will will grow in you. But there's a need to wait patiently. I remember as a kid, you can take your hand away from your heart now. Unless you want to keep it there, it's all right. You can. It feels kind of comforting. It's like a little self-hug. Sometimes we need that. As a kid, I remember in class, we did one of those projects, I don't know, first, second, third grade, something like that, where you had a little milk carton, you put some dirt in it, and then you put, I don't know, alfalfa seeds or something. Chia, maybe. I don't know. Have you ever had a chia pet? And, uh, and you watched it grow. But, you know, a child doesn't have very much patience, especially a child like me. So, you know, you, you planted it, and about 10 minutes later, you came back. Has anything happened? Oh, the next day, it just looks like dirt. A week later, it still looks like dirt. Two weeks later, uh, it takes a long time, right? So you might kind of feel like, well, forget that. But if you can patiently wait and tend to it, it needs water, it needs light, it needs weeding, maybe a little bit of food, then it will start to grow. Of course, if you don't tend to it, it might die. So those who wait patiently for the Lord will be rewarded. Amen. You know, there were some men known as magi, wise men from the east, perhaps from the area that had once been the empire of Babylon, where the people of God, the Israelites, the Judahites, had been taken away to during a time of exile. And while they were there, their scriptures became known to the, to the scribes, to the wise people of uh, the Persian culture. And so it is likely that these magi, these wise men, are sometimes referred to as kings in the sense that they were authorities of that culture. They came to know the scriptures. They came to know that the book of Numbers described a star rising in the heavens that would be a, a proclamation that this anointed ruler king would come to the earth. They came to know the scriptures. Uh, for instance, the prophet Micah, who said that this Messiah king would be born in Bethlehem. And so they were waiting and watching not just waiting, you know, kind of with their head in the sand, but looking with their eyes to the skies, watching the heavens, recording the movement. The point here is they expected a fulfillment of this promise. So they were the ones who were actually ready to receive it. The people of Israel weren't looking. People from another nation had to come. The king of Israel, so to speak, Herod, 
not a righteous man, didn't even know the scriptures well enough to know that there would be a star, let alone what that star would mean or where the king would be born. But these magi of the east, they knew. And when they went, Matthew chapter 2 describes how they saw the star standing over the house where Jesus and his family was. Something very miraculous must have happened here. Some kind of very distinct guidance from the heavens. And they rejoiced with exceeding great joy when they saw what had been promised finally shining and fulfilled. In fact, their joy was so great that not only did they make that dangerous and rigorous journey, but they came bearing gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. This might surprise you, but God willing, I already know what will be a focus for us in Advent next year, and we're going to talk about those gifts, but that's next year. Something to look forward to. There you go. Wait patiently and it will be fulfilled. They came bringing something of value and laying it down at the feet of the one that they acknowledged as God. I want to say here at this point of the message as we're drawing to something close to the conclusion, is there something you are waiting for in the Lord and you feel like you've been waiting too long? Or maybe it's simply you don't know what you're waiting for, but you don't feel that you have the strength or the grace or the energy to continue. I often talk about how the holiday season, which is a season of joyousness and time with family, can also be a time of difficulty and trauma because of memories, maybe of past holidays which were better and you miss that, or past holidays that were worse and you regret that, or you grieve over the pain of that. You may be someone for whom Christmas time has always been one of the most joyous times, but this Christmas is the first Christmas without a husband or without a wife or without a child or without a sibling or the first Christmas away from home or the first Christmas without that job or it may be that there are pressures in this season that make it more difficult for you to concentrate on the focus of this holiday because you're so distressed by all the agitation of what's going on. Or it may simply be that this is just another Christmas for you and you feel a little bit of that weariness that says, well, I know, I know it's a good time of year and I know there are many happy things, but there's also a lot of gifts to buy and food to make and parties to plan and schedules to coordinate and work to get done. And you know, it's a little bit wearying. All of those things are on the same spectrum, which is a spectrum of world weariness. But the word of the Lord, like light in the dark, like a seed in a barren place, like water in the desert, the word of the Lord comes and says, believe, be renewed, be born again, expect a miracle again. Expect a light to shine in the dark. Believe and prepare for a spark to be ignited in you like a fuse. And if you've been waiting for something, don't give up. Don't let go. Keep waiting faithfully. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. 
the prophet Habakkuk said. It hastens toward the goal, and it will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it. Even the arrival of Jesus. Don't be among those who think. For 2,000 years, these people have been talking about Jesus coming back, and he's not back yet. That means he's not coming. It means no such thing. It means his coming is sooner than ever before. I don't know when it is. And it may be thousands of years off, but it's sooner today than it was yesterday. And it shall come. I'll tell you this. Even if Jesus doesn't come to this world for thousands of years, you're going to him a lot sooner than that. How long will it be before you wake up to see him face to face? Only a matter of years at most. And it may be far less than that. None of us knows. So wait faithfully and patiently that when the Lord of life comes, he might find you walking in the light and growing in the word, growing fruitful in him because there is a final coming. And at that time, it's fruitfulness that will matter. What is it that God is calling for from you today? What area of righteousness is he calling to you and saying, attend to this? There's some weeding that needs to be done, some stones that need to be removed, some light that needs to be shined. Where is there a place in you where the Lord says, I want to plant a fresh seed or tend to the seed that I planted a long time ago, but it needs some watering, watering of the scriptures. Read the word. Read the word in a way in which the word reads into you. Don't just read words on a page. Allow the word of the Lord to dwell in you richly, even as Pastor Vanita preached to us a couple of weeks ago. Allow that word to work in you, for nothing will be impossible with God. If God can overshadow a virgin with the Holy Spirit and conceive in her the Messiah, then God can do anything in you. If that very man who was born of her, can stand outside the tomb of his friend Lazarus and say, Lazarus, come forth, and a man dead three days walks out of the tomb, then nothing is impossible for the one who believes. And if that man who says, I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus Christ, if he also is born of the tomb, just as he was born of the womb, then you also need not fear the grave, because just like for him, so for you, the grave becomes a place of resurrection. Blessed is the one who believes that there would be a fulfillment of what the Lord has spoken to them. The angel Gabriel said to Mary, blessed are you. Why? Because God is going to do this? No, God had already determined to do it. Blessed are you because you believe it. Because you believe it. You see that the belief is the blessing. The faith is the fruitfulness. Say that. Turn to one person on one side of you and say, the blessing is believing. Turn to the person on the other side and saying, faith is the fruitfulness. fruitfulness. It's true because faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of the things that you can't see. Zacharias, who was the man whose wife had never been able to give birth and they were both too old to have children, just like Sarah and Abraham, too old to have children, and yet God gave them a child, and their child was John the Baptist, who was a voice crying in the wilderness, prepare for the word of the Lord. 
That man said, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant. People lived for hundreds, even thousands of years, as the book of Hebrews tells us, looking forward to the day of the Messiah. And they didn't live to see it, but their faith was fruit. And their belief was a blessing. And now they are a great great crowd of witnesses, a cloud of witnesses in the heaven around us, cheering us on and saying, keep on believing. Don't grow weary in well-doing because you will reap a harvest in due season if you keep on believing. And here is what Jesus says. He is the one who said for thousands and thousands and thousands of years of human history, I will come. And then he did, but many did not receive him. But to as many as did receive him, they became children of God. He says now, behold, I am coming quickly. And my reward is with me to render to everyone according to what they have done. This Christmas season, let us look forward to December 25th with the expectation that as we do so, God grows something good in us this year. Something new and fresh in us this year. But let's also look beyond December 25th, if it be beyond December 25th. For Jesus could come in the clouds tomorrow for all I know. And if he does, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. But don't just look to Christmas. Look to Christ and see that his coming is soon. So live in accordance with his word. For all those who live according to what he has said will be rewarded. But any who lives in opposition to the Lord How very tragic is their end. The Lord doesn't desire that for any of us, not for anyone. But the reality is, not every branch bears fruit. So bear fruit. You say, I can't bear any fruit of myself. Jesus acknowledged that. He said, without me, you can do nothing. But if you abide in me, and I abide in you, you will bear much fruit. The first coming of Jesus was foretold. The second coming of Jesus is also foretold in the same scriptures, in both the old and the new. And today, there are still those who, though they live in a land of darkness, have seen a great light, like a lighthouse on the shore, like a star in the heavens, like a sprout out of the earth, like a cross on the hill, like a tomb emptied out. They've seen the sign and they've believed. Blessed are they. Blessed are you when you believe. Lord, let us believe. Let us receive. And we ask, Lord, that in our belief, you would give us grace, Lord. You would give us grace not only to hold fast in this season, but to continue to believe, to continue to stand on your word and having done all to continue standing, Lord. Surrey, you can be quiet. That's the voice of the world, right? (laughs)